The following contains bad language, so if you're the sensitive type, fuck off now and save yourself writing me an angry email. I have an extended Twilight parody idea. Oh, no. This is the skin of a grunt suit, Bella! Hello and welcome to I Thought They Smelled Bad on the Outside, a podcast that is gleefully mixing over-the-counter cough medicine and alcohol. With me tonight is just one dude. Introduce yourself, dude. Dude, I am Jabman025, also known as Jeff, also known as the Gunpla Addict. You'll remember Jeff from the last one, in which we talked about games for a really long time. Let's just jump into pick of the week. What do you got, Jeff? Uh, I got something. This is kind of an old school pick, but I just found it the other day. I had no idea, but Funimation is re-releasing the original Trigun anime series as a complete box set. And they're on Amazon right now, I guess it's a free plug for Amazon, they're only charging 30 bucks, $29.99 for the whole set. And, of course, you get free shipping on that. So 30 bucks for all of Trigun hell of a deal. Uh, and to put this into perspective for any young listeners who might not have been buying anime, uh, say, seven or eight years ago, when I bought Trigun in a box set, the first box set, it cost me $329.99. Yeesh. Yeah. Makes you feel good that I just bought it for 30 doesn't it? Oh, I, I am loving every subsequent re-release that makes me just stare at it and go... Jeez, I'm glad I paid for that and when I was in high school and had a massive disposable income. <laughs> Think, if you saved that money, you could have bought a perfect grade. Yeah, perfect grades, perfect grades. More <laughs> for- foreshadowing. I-, I should use that to segue, but before that, I'm going to do a little sort of rant box here. All right, Th- this this is me sort of engaging in a weird sociological theory. But if you walk into any restaurant, any store, anywhere, they'll, they, they might, they'll probably have music going in the background. And 99% of the time, the music doesn't really bother you. They sort of specifically go out of their way to pick, like, soft rock stations that are completely bland and, you know, incite no emotions whatsoever. Unless you go into a store that's cool and has cool music. But you you go around and then you leave the store, you leave the restaurant, and you go out into the street. And on the street, you got guys driving past, blaring music. You've got teenagers who seem to think, listening to poorly encoded MP3s, coming through tinny cell phone speakers, is really the way to experience music. And I swear, every time... These guys have the worst taste in music. You are always, always angry with these people's choices. It's terrible, like the worst hip-hop, the most indulgent rap songs. R&B, which I have hated in general ever since they decided R&B should no longer include rhythm or blues. When did that happen? And I can think of two occasions in which I was not incredibly annoyed with the person playing the music. Once, when I was 
standing at a uh, stop sign near my university, and the guy driving by was playing um, probably the entire album of Who's Next, but he was specifically playing uh, Baba O'Reilly, so I got to sit there while the light changed, rocking out. And the other day, on the bus, when someone had the tiny-ass, lame cell phone speakers doing uh, Rage Against the Machine, not a band I normally like, but at least it wasn't, you know, talking about... It wasn't some rapper listing off all the stuff he owns or discussing the various ways in which he uh, demeans women. And I I don't understand why, when you go into a retail space, the music doesn't bother you. And then you go into sort of someone invading your personal space, and it always bothers you. It's just this weird phenomena, and I don't understand. In stores, they usually don't blare it at the top of the volume, whereas, you know, if you're sitting at a stoplight... Someone, you know, pulls up to you in some kind of car with the stereos in the backseat big enough to cause a 2.0 on the Richter scale. They're always playing something horrible. Yeah. Either something that you cannot determine exactly what the person on the song is saying, or you can and you can't repeat it. Yeah. And getting into the whole car stereo thing, who the fuck, like, I'm something of an audiophile. I'm not totally nuts or anything, but... Why exactly is it that you only seem to need to add subwoofers to your car stereo? I mean, the whole point is audio balance. It's about, if you're going to add giant subwoofers, make sure you've got, you know, tweeters and mid-range speakers that can match that for volume. Otherwise, all you're getting is the bass line of your song. And because you're listening to hip-hop, the bass line of your song sucks. Or is stolen from an Ozzy Osbourne song. <laughs> Scott, you're, you're thinking too much into this. And, you know, when you're watching TV or you're listening to a home stereo, you want balance. You want some woofers and tweeters. You don't want nice, long balance. When you've got it in the car, your entire goal is to make the people down the street wet the bed. That's about it. <laughs> but no, when I was driving around listening to music, I was with my friends. Again. I was either reenacting Wayne's World, which means all of us, all five of us, would be singing Bohemian Rhapsody, or we were driving around blaring Wagner, because Wagner is way more awesome than a lot of stuff written in the last century. Specifically, it was the overture of the Flying Dutchman. Indeed. But again, you're listening to the music. These people who put giant woofers in their car, they don't care what the music is, as long as it cracks windows somewhere. They could play a, a elephant farting into a microphone. If it makes loud enough noise, they're happy farting into a microphone. I think so. You know, I bet I can find a wave of that. If I can, I will add it to the episode. Just for the crowd that has subwoofers in their cars and <laughs> the podcasts on them. <laughs> but, ah, now, now I'm just thinking about all the annoying things people have done musically to me. In first year, I, I lived in residence, and for the second semester, I had these two guys living next door, and they liked exactly one song. They played that song all the time, and they didn't play it especially loud, but their speakers were right next to the wall that we shared, so I got to listen to the bass line of that one song 
all 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 that semester, and it was really really lame. Until I started playing Wagner at their wall at you know eight in the morning when I was leaving for my Nats lab. That was fun. Scott, I have to ask, what was the song? I cannot tell. It was. It, I could only like if you played if you played it. I'd pick up on the baseline and be, and I'd immediately be like, "Those motherfuckers from first year." I still want to cut them. I'm gonna guess Fallout Boy, but okay. No, it was not Fallout Boy. It was some crappy rap song. Okay. What about you? You got you got any good musical revenge stories? Not so much revenge stories. I will say that on occasion, I guess this is why they do this. Uh, one time, I was in Best Buy, and for some reason, I heard the particular song. And I remember stopping going, I really like this song. And I have absolutely no idea who plays it. And I had to stick around and sat there in the Best Buy for like two minutes, waiting for the song to end, just so I could get the name and title of the song. And it was by some European band I've never heard of, and I bought that one song online. That's the only time I've ever actually found those uh, soundtracks in stores useful. That's sort of interesting. I mean, I think that's why they put it on there, is they put on some you know, songs and hope, hey, you like that song, you'll buy it. Maybe you'll buy it while you're in the store, which I didn't, but... <laughs> well, well, that was like the whole... Sh- I think that was the only way they sold album- albums in the movie High Fidelity, was there was that one <laughs> scene where it's like, I am now going to send sell ten copies of this album. Hit play. <laughs> it was a good song, I remember that, and I was thinking, damn, I wish I could buy that album. But now I can't. High Fidelity was a good movie. I think you're dating yourself. I am dating myself. I don't have a problem with that. Really. <laughs> well, I'm older than you, so I'm not going to say much. Yeah, well, I'm old at heart. I mean, I just spent a whole rant about these darn kids and the rap music that they play too loud in their did cars. You, did you shake your cane while you were doing it? And you know what? They need to get off my lawn. <laughs> I'm going to get my gun, you kids. This is Canada. We don't have guns. We we can only resort to uh, cane shaking. Ah, okay. Canada is a very passive-aggressive nation. Like people say, we're polite. We we are not. Like if you if you do anything remotely out of line, like if you like sort of cut in line at at a coffee shop or do anything that's sort of outside social protocol, you will get death glares from everyone. No, no one's gonna say anything, but everyone's gonna be giving you the stink eye, and you'll be wondering why. It's the same on the roads. Like, no no one honks unless there's any something immediately dangerous going to happen. Like, you're from St. Louis. You're, you're driving along. Someone cuts you off. You honk. You yell. You, 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 you engage in, you know, primitive sign language with these people. Indeed. And, and I'm sure they interact back. Most of the time. In, in Canada, if you cut someone off, you know what we do? You we wave? No, we don't wave. What we'll do is, on the freeway... We'll pull right beside you. We'll we'll pull into the left lane. We'll come up right beside you, and, and we'll pull, sit parallel with you for about twenty or thirty seconds, as long as we can, given the traffic flow. And all the while, we will be staring at you very angrily, and then we'll pass you once we feel that uh, the message has been communicated. Can't Let me get this straight. You're gonna. When you're angry at someone on the freeway, you pull up beside them and stare at them for 20 seconds while driving down the freeway? Yes. This, this is how it works. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> the things I learn on this podcast, I swear to God. Yeah, Canada's a weird place. Indeed. 
but St. Louis still has better tap water. Maybe. No, it's true. Be- best on the continent, mostly because Anheuser-Busch feeds more money into it than, uh, well, the city does. Yeah, well, around here the city doesn't feed money into much anything. Mm. Well, Toronto, the city doesn't pay for much either. <laughs> we we pass the buck up to the province and the, the federal government, because we can do that, because we're the center of the fucking universe. Blame Canada. Blame... Sorry, what? <laughs> I don't know if there's a lot of things you could really blame on us. The third Austin Powers movie. We apologize for that. You're damn right you do. We're re- yeah. One and two we're, we'll stand by as being pretty decent movies, but the third one, that was too much. No, I won't stand... I won't let you stand by two. Two sucked. One was good. Two sucked. Three was a crime against humanity. Oh, two wasn't that bad. Wasn't that good either. <laughs> Yeah, like that's that, that's the thing about two is that it's average. We are not going to apologize for average. We'll we'll apologize for Celine Dion and especially Justin Bieber. Okay, as long as you apologize for Bieber. Yeah, because he has caused all sorts of hair problems across the nation. Oh yeah, I know. Just, I think we've ranted on long enough, don't you? I don't know. I'm sure I could come up with something to rant about. Oh wait, I haven't even gotten to my pick. My pick of the week is. Um, Brasserie Judicielle. It's a uh, French-Canadian brewery out of um, Saint something or other Quebec, which is really helpful because you know half the towns in that province aren't named after saints. They really aren't. No, not at all. But right now I am drinking a Route des Épices, which is a rye lager brewed with peppercorns. It's rich and spicy and awesome. So if this uh show goes off the rails, we know who to blame. Oh, yeah. Hey, hey. Uh, I do not endorse rails of any kind. <laughs> rails? What rails? What madness do you speak of? In the future, we don't need roads. <laughs> Where we're going, we don't need roads. Yeah. I fly! Anyway. Those, are, those were some good movies. I'm psyched for the Back to the Future games. Back to the Future games? Yeah, Telltale... The guys who, who've been doing Sam and Max and uh, the most recent Monkey Island games, uh-huh. they're, they're doing an episodic uh, Back to the Future series. Awesome. I know. I want a hoverboard now. Yeah. That, that's another episode we should do. Things from movies we really wish had happened. Like, it's 2010. Hoverboards. They're, they're, they're like five years away, according to Back to the Future. Yeah. And shoes that lace themselves. Actually, Nike's making those. Awesome. They already have them. They already have a prototype. It's going to cost around eight hundred dollars a pair. Okay. Oh, so about the same you'd normally pay for Nikes. Yeah, I was going to say there's not a huge difference between your normal pair of Nikes, but like, like if you're a Nike buying person, it's not a jump. What I'm going to do a lot of editing on this episode. You know that. <laughs> no, no, I'll just cut the dead air and um, me saying um a lot. <laughs> I think that, that I think that'll be about it. Like Sam's not around, that saves me a lot of editing work. She's but, gonna listen to this, you know. I, I know. No, I've teased her in person about her uh, speech impediments many times, many times. I know, I know. I really went off on a tangent last episode doing it. <laughs> yeah, that was a great joke. I kept that. But no, seriously, the raw cut of that episode was an hour and forty minutes. Eight of that was pre-show banter that just went out the window. I cut it down to about an hour and 15, all of that being dead air and people saying, um, and, uh, and, you know, not to name names. 
I couldn't guess who you're talking about. No, not at all. Not at all. All right, so on to our main topic, which was not our planned topic, but I'm sure we'll tackle next week when I can get some less flaky people on the show. We're going to be talking about tiny plastic assemblable versions of giant Japanese robots. Yay! Yay! Do you want to start about how you got into the hobby? Well, my beginnings, in, at least in modeling, go all the way back to grade school. So, say, fifth or sixth grade, so good lord, 20 years ago. Yeah. I'm dating myself again. So I was building, you know, cars and planes and trucks and tanks and helicopters, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then comes along a little afternoon television show called Toonami. And it happened to show this television show called Gundam Wing. Perhaps you've heard of it. Yes, but I have no Toonami nostalgia because I am Canadian, and we watched our Gundam Wing on The Zone. Okay, well, The Zone slash Toonami slash whatever you got to saw it. There, there was this show called Gundam Wing, and they introduced these things called Gundam Model Kits. And they sold them at different stores, and you could buy them online. And uh, the first one I ever bought at a Toys R Us for $40 was Gundam Epion High Grade 1100 Scale. And I figured, hey, this will be fun for a different kind of model kit. You know, I'll buy one or two of these and see how it goes. Well, here I am all these years later, and I'm surrounded currently by at least 65 master grades, among other things. So the addiction is ongoing. Yeah, my story is not so terribly different. My dad was huge into plastic models for fighter planes and cars, and he brought both me and my sister, into the hobby. I was more about fighter planes because I love the hardware. I'm, I'm a bit of a hardware geek. Whatever, If it's got moving parts, I'm kind of interested in it. And my sister was mostly in it for custom paint jobs, which I'm sort of sad I was not that interested in when I was young because now having to learn how to do all the custom paint job stuff is proving to be something of a pain. And as I got into high school, I, I, I sort of stopped mostly because we didn't have a ho- good hobby store around when I was in high school. I um, I mostly forgot about even doing it until a couple of years back. I guess m- maybe only two. I was at a Anime North, and I was dressed as Lock-On Stratos, because this was when I still had my long, luxurious hippie hair. And the guy over at the Silver Snail booth sort of waved me over and was like, Hey, hey, Lock-On, tell you what, man, we don't have everything here today. But you show up tomorrow morning, first thing, and I'll hold on to a cop, uh, to a hundredth scale Dinamez for you. And I sort of knew this guy. He, he was vague acquaintance from previous panels I'd visited. So the next day, I, I, I show up and I sort of look at it, and I'd kind of been interested in sort of getting back into modeling and seeing all the Gundam models around at the con. Sort of got me, my, my juices flowing. So I, I put down the 40 bucks for, um, this Dinamez kit, the week after, I put it together, went out, bought the flag because, you know, it, it looked stupid standing there on its own. I needed something to pose it up against, so it looked like they were fighting. And now it's slowly starting to take over all the shelf space in my room. Yeah. Yeah. That tend to happen. It, it, uh, it happens. I had shelf space at one time. I really did. But I don't anymore. <laughs> when I start, I'm gonna, I'm really close to you know having to put up more shelves 
again. Well, it's just so terrible because all my hobbies seem to just take up shelf space. Right. Tabletop role-playing games? Books. Those take up shelves. Reading? More books. That's shelves. DVDs? Shelves for DVDs. Shelves for games. And now shelves for the robots. He who dies with the most toys wins. Yeah. Obviously, we're trying to win. Yeah. Let's not even get to my toy collecting. It flares up every now and again. It's very hard for me to walk through uh, the the toy section of a Walmart and not sort of grab a Star Wars action figure. I'm not bad about that, but lately I've been getting into uh, Figma and Rebel Tech collecting. I've got a handful of them. And the other day I happened to be browsing Tomopop and they showed a Figma version of Cosmos. Oh, yeah. And I just immediately went, like, you can almost see the drool coming out of my mouth. It's like, must own. And I'm sure the thing's going to cost like 80 bucks or something ridiculous. Yeah. But it looks absolutely amazing. So I might have to plunk down the money for that bad boy. Well, the problem is that Figmas are all of hot girls and Revoltechs are just so cool on their own. And then you add the fact that, oh, it's Vash the Stampede and he's $70 to buy here. Right. It's it's, it's ex- Expensive in Japan to begin with, and then you add the extra fees, and it gets really ridiculous. I don't get it. Like, Revel Techs for robots are pretty decent. Like, I've got a full-realized Gurren Lagann that I got for 25 bucks, but the, the, the Revel Tech Yamaguchis are, like, 70 for some reason. Right. I don't get it. I don't got a lot of Revel Techs right now. I got uh, the end, which, Eureka 7, which I got fairly cheap, actually. I still have to watch Eureka 7. Is that, is that a must-watch show? It's a it's a really good show. It's let's put it this way: there are points in the show where it is an absolute must watch, and then there are other points in the show where you're just like, "Come on, get moving with the story. Let's go now." But when it when that show hits home, it really hits home. The crazy thing about my giant robot habit is, for the past while, it hasn't been even me buying; it's people buying for me. <clears throat> like I'm sitting here staring at. Um, the 60th high-grade EX of uh, the Shining Gundam that Sam bought for me, which I like just because it's huge. Mm-hmm. Getting into sort of the aspects of the hobby, I, I know, Jeff, you're, you're a big Master Grade collector. You want to talk about sort of the virtues of the Master Grade? Oh, sure. Uh, be sure and kick me if I start going on a rant for too long. All right. But <laughs> I've always said that the Master Grade is the perfect balance in terms of the Gundam model kit. The high-grade scale, yes, it's cheap, but you always lose something. You don't get a strong body. You don't get a strong amount of detail or uh, accessories. But the Master Grade, you, you have to raise the price a little bit, and in some cases more than a little bit. But you usually get really good balanced kits. There are usually no big monstrous issues. Like of all the Master Grades I've ever built, I can only think of five or six that I regret buying that I bought, and I just went, my God, what was I thinking when I bought this? Considering I have 65 of them built already, and I've only got about five that I'm kind of questioning myself on, that ain't too shabby. That is a good ratio. Right. But all things considered, for the price you pay, I think you get the most out of it. Whereas, you know, you go to your perfect grades, yeah, they are absolutely amazing looking. Yes, they're huge. Yes, they've got tons of detail. But you're also going to have to mortgage your home to buy some of them. You're also going to have to, you know, give up an arm and a firstborn child to buy some. I mean, they just announced the Master Grade Strike Freedom 
which really does look impressive. And as a defender of destiny, I really like to strike freedom. But seeing the price and what they want for the kid, I'm like, my God, are you out of your mind? Perfect grades are just nuts. And I'm almost afraid to put them together just because of the price. Right. Because I'm going to be looking and I'm going to be like, okay, this thing's going to be several thousand parts. And if I lose any of them, right, I'm so screwed. It's yeah. like, I can't, I can't even, like, sort of, I'd be afraid to even just do the basic sort of custom stuff. Like, you, even panel lining these things, I'd be like, oh, jeez, this, this part alone cost me, like, this one bit of the leg cost me ten bucks. Why am I even putting a marker on it? Right. Well, you got to be, I mean, any kind of kit where you spend that kind of money, especially this. I mean, I have a local hobby shop I go to here, and I can get, you know, cars, planes, all, you know, more standard model kit stuff. And I can pay, you know, 20, 25 bucks a kit. And those are nice, fun kits. Usually got to do more painting and more gluing on those, but they're fun little kits. Whereas Gundam model kits, the I'm going to say the average price of a Master Grade is 45, 50 bucks with shipping. Yeah. And usually you can't find it at a local hobby store unless you happen to live on the uh, in California. Well, I'm sort of lucky because talking about the hobby store thing is Toronto... I don't know what it is about Toronto, but there's a few places I can just walk in and get a whole lot of stuff I, that I'd be interested in. Like the, the, the guys I go to a lot are Anime Extreme. They're down in Chinatown. They're uh, they're a specialty store. They, they've got the shelves of manga, the big rack of anime DVDs on one wall, but the back wall it, it's all plastic model kits, and it's great to just walk in there and sort of go up and down and be like. Oh, hey, I have never played Armored Core, but if I really liked the mech designs of that, I'd be pretty set. <laughs> you lucky SOB. Oh, my, yeah. My hobby store, like I said, all they ever have is, they have some sci-fi stuff, but it's mostly Star Wars or Star Trek or comic stuff or somewhat like that, Battlestar Galactica junk. Well, Star Wars kits are even getting harder and harder to find now. Now, you should be my hobby store. they got an entire wall full of things. But just I, I just recently built a kit, which I put a review up on YouTube, free plug for me, uh, the Ava Unit 1 F-Type. And I actually found that at my model kit store. I was looking around, and on the bottom shelf I saw some Gundam model kits. I'm like, wow, look at that. It was a couple of Master Grades, ones I already had. So I was like, hey, they actually got some. That's kind of neat. And I looked at them, and it was like they had a G4, a G5, and a Master Gundam. And they had a couple other nice Gundams, you know, high grades. And I was like, eh, that's kind of neat. And I saw that Ava type one. I was like, wow, I got to have that. <laughs> and I overpaid for it, but I was so excited to actually see it in person. You know, I never get to see that. Anytime I want a model kit, I got to go online to get it. Well, another thing that really helps me out is Toronto's got a really good con- convention scene. Like, I think they're from, I think from May to September, there's one every month. And regardless of what the con's supposed to be about, the anime merch guys always seem to find their way into the, the, the dealer's room. Right. <laughs> At that point, I, I sort of get the run of what can I find for model kits. And, you know, there's some guys who are just... There's one bunch of guys who, who are gouging. But I also get, you know, the guys from the Silver Snail, and I get my boys from Anime Extreme, and a couple of guys who come up from New York every year. And they're usually willing to give me a good deal. Silver Snail's gotten better and better at sort of reducing the markup over the box price for it. And because I've got an in with this one guy who works there, if I'm willing to buy sort of match sets of certain things, like 
he'll give me a discount. He really was trying to sell me on a um, the B3 goof and a Easy Eight as a match set, and I think he was taking like ten bucks off each if I bought the pair. Lucky bum you. Yeah. So just anyway, here in St. Louis, we you know we have like one convention a year. It's a tiny little small one where the dealer's room could be held in a janitor's closet. I mean, there's really not much to it. The problem is, to our north in Iowa, we have one called Anime Central every year that is probably the biggest in the Midwest. And then we have one just to our, our northeast in Chicago where that is held every fall, and that's another huge anime convention, so... We're no, we're two, next to the biggest in the Midwest, so anything we get's really tiny. And I know of only one store in my local area that sells Gundam model kits, and he gets restocked once a year, and he extremely overcharges. Example: I was in his store a few months back, and I actually saw a Perfect Grade, a Perfect Grade RX seventy eight dash two, the very first Perfect Grade. I'm gonna let you guess, Scott. How much was he charging? Three fifty. Pretty close, actually. Three twenty-five. Yeah. For a perfect grade, you can go online and get for with shipping for about a hundred and fifty bucks. Jeez. No, there's there's one place that I I don't know why I keep going in there. Maybe it's just the location. It's called Aura. They're on Young and Dundas, which means a lot to my listeners, I'm sure. But it's right downtown in the core, sort of our fake Times Square, and. What they charge is absolutely ridiculous. But I keep going in there and poking, and I stare at the price, and I, and I just get mad at them. And then I go over to the corner where the paint and the markers are, and I probably pick up, like, you know, I, I need a new gray lining marker out, and I plunk down two bucks for that, and I'm happy. Now, I, usually I don't find anything I want in there. The other day I did see he actually had a, a Master Grade Gyan, which is a kid I don't have, so I obviously want it. But he wanted $80 for it, and that's a little ridiculous, so... I don't even know why I even bother going in that store. But just to go back to something else you said, sort of in defense of the high-grade model kit, sure, it's cheap, and actually the cheapness is usually something I use to sort of sate my addiction without really feeling too bad. Like, I I like Master Grades a lot, too, but High Grades, they're getting better every year. Like, they're they're doing more with the joints to make them better. Well, I'll agree, like... Some of the recent high-grade Universal Century stuff or, like, the high-grade After War stuff that they're bringing out the Gundam X, those kits are better than the early Master Grades easily, but I'm just saying, in modern terms, it's a no contest for me. Yeah, no, and and, and that's part of it is that the high-grade UC line is fantastic, and a lot of that has to do with sort of the art style of the UC series where you don't have a lot of colors, you don't see too much detail in most of the suits, I, I could not imagine buying a high-grade Cosmic Era suit because, for whatever reason, you needed six colors on every unit, and they all had to be ridiculously bright. And a lot of gimmicks and weird little details that would make doing a high-grade for it a nightmare. But with high-grade UC, it's mostly Xeon stuff, and Xeon stuff is all one or two colors, all fairly great, you know, not a lot of detail. So they don't have to sort of strain themselves, or you don't have to apply a lot of stickers to get all the colors right. Like, I've got a high-grade comfort, and it's still one of the fav- my favorite things I've ever built. And I'm glad that they're sort of doing sort of the 90s alternate universe series in high-grade format now. If they did them a little faster, I'd be happier. But, like, I've got the GX sitting on my shelf, and I'm like, that was a lot of fun to build. 
And now they've turned around and asked the GX divider, and I'm like, may have to do a custom paint job on the first one just so I have an excuse to buy the divider. <laughs> I have to justify it to myself. I can't buy the same kit unless I'm going to do something radically different to the first one. Right. Well, there, there's two things about Bandai. One, they're always finding new ways to empty your wallet. And two, they always kind of let you go off on your own little tangent if you want to. That's why I like Gundam models so much. You know, if you get a car or a plane, there's only so much you can change in terms of color, in terms of, you know, the design of the the uh, car, the plane, or what have you. Gundam model kits, as long as you've got some ideas and you can do a little modification here or there, or you can buy a conversion kit, you can make all sorts of interesting things. Yeah, that, that, that's another aspect of it. B-Club gives you a lot of options for buying extra little bits, or here's some parts that'll turn this thing into this related thing. Like, no one really makes a conversion kit for, you know, a Spitfire. Right. Or uh, the, the F-22. Right. If you've got a if you've got a F-18 Hornet, you've got an F-18 Hornet, and there's not a whole lot you can do with it. Unless you're really interested in doing the custom uh, sort of marking details to turn it into a CF-18 Hornet or something. Yeah, sir. That only, you know, an expert with a magnifying glass could tell you, oh, I see the difference now. Oh, yes, yes. This is the version fielded by NATO rather than uh, the, the, the United States Navy. Yes. Indeed. But, you know, like, I'll go ahead and drop a little surprise in case any one of my subscribers are listening to this. Going to be starting here very shortly the Master Grade EXS Gundam, which I got the patchwork conversion kit on. So that's going to be a massive undertaking. Oh. It's one of those things of I bought the kit and I bought the conversion kit and I realized this is going to be a challenge. But I always like setting challenges for myself. It's another nice thing about Gundam. You know, you can always take an easy kit, work your way up to a harder kit, and then you can tackle some of the really crazy stuff. Jeff, do you have any sort of particular neuroses uh, about buying Gundams? Because I do. For some reason, I'm incapable of buying kits that aren't sort of that I can't sort of group together. So right now I've got a uh, Master Grade Mark II and a Zeta sitting on my shelf, and I'm waiting on a Hyakushiki to show up. And my first thought after is like, okay, after I build the Hyakushiki, I can't not go out and track down an O and a uh, Cubile just so I can get the big ones of uh, the last few episodes of Zeta. Right. And, uh, and I'm planning on buying most of the high-grade Universal Century kits for uh, Unicorn just because I've got... Um, the Castria and the Rezzle sitting on my, or the, no, it is the Rezzle, sitting on my shelf, and I'm like, you know what would look nice with that? A Girazulu and a Sinanju and a Unicorn, all, all, all sort of posed together, looking badass. Right. I, I haven't done that too often. The Master Grade GNX, I bought that solely for the reason, so I could have something to pose alongside the Exia. I later bought a Trans Am Exia anyway, so it doesn't really matter. Uh, the GPO3, the Masquerade GPO3, I bought that simply because I already had a GPO1 and a GPO2, and I wanted to complete the set. But I usually don't do that. My problem that I have is if I get an idea for a custom paint job or a custom job on a kit, I can't wait. You know, it's one of those things. I got the idea in my head. I got to get that kit right now. I can't wait and find it cheaper sometime. Like, my best example is I did a custom Gelgoog in orange and silver, 
and made myself the pilot. And I gave it all sorts of decals with jab on it and so on and so forth. And the reason I did that is I had that Elgoog on eBay, and I was winning the auction the entire time. For six days straight, I was winning the auction. And I had already planned out, hey, I want to do a custom color. In fact, I'm going to do it with my colors and my logos, and I'm going to have all sorts of neat stuff on it. And then at the last second, somebody outbid me. I was like, ah, crud. So I figured I'll just put it out of my head, and maybe one day I'll get a Gelgoog and I'll do it. I tried to put it out of my head. I really did. I tried not to think about it, but like five days afterwards, I'm still thinking, I really want to do that now. So I had to go to Gundam Store and more, and I overpaid for the kit a little bit. But I got it just so I could finish that custom you know, idea in my head. And I did the same thing recently. I did a pair of a master. I did a, a custom accessory for my master grade turn A Gundam, a pair of moonlight butterfly wings. And uh, I happened to walk by a Walmart, uh, walk by an aisle in Walmart, and I saw some clear folders. I'm like, you know, I've had that idea for those butterfly wings. Maybe I should go buy some. So I picked those up, and immediately, as soon as I got home, I couldn't wait. I had to, you know, start cutting them out. I had to start making my cuts and start designing everything and then i had to go to a craft store i mean if i get into a mode where i want to finish a custom project i really really have to finish it it will drive me insane like another one i'll keep rambling on here the crossbone series i did a crossbone x2 because i got a a crossbone kit really cheap on ebay i only paid like 25 bucks for it but as soon as i finished the x2 it was like and i really want to do an x3 now so I overpaid for a crossbone kit so I could do the X3. This addiction has cost me more than time. It's cost me some money on occasions when I really want to do a custom kit. Going back to that custom Gelgoog, it sort of inspired me, and now I've sort of got a mind to track down sort of a federate, some sort of federation grunt suit. I'm not sure what yet. Maybe a GM or a gun can or one of the mass-produced gun cannons. Oh, and, so I- and do a self-insert Ace Federation pilot to see if I can beat you up. Oh, you're going to take me on in the Gelgu, that ain't, uh, my Gelgu, that ain't right. I'll kick your ass. Although I, I made myself part of the, the, the Delaz fleet, so that means at the end of 0083 I got blown up. Well, come like on. The, I'm putting myself in a GM. I may as well give myself a casket. And well, if you're going to do that, get yourself a ball. I mean, come on. Ah. Come on, a, a, a custom Scott Watcher ball. You know you want it. Oh, come on. There have been some great ball aces of all time. That, yeah, the old one, yeah, Shiro and that old guy from Crossbone. That They're awesome. Actually, I think the old guy from Crossbone is my favorite character in that manga. Yeah, that was... Uh, I guess I'll go ahead and let out another little secret. I'm, I'm trying to hold it off, but I can't. Recently, I was looking through a conversion kit store in Hong Kong that I buy some stuff from. I found a conversion kit for a ball that turns it into a Gundam head. <laughs> yeah, I bought it. <laughs> and yeah, I have a ball, and it's waiting. As soon as the conversion kit ships, you know what I'm turning that ball into. The bee Gundam. I'm going to be repainting it and redesigning it into a Gundam head ball. Which may be the most awesome yet ridiculous model kit I've ever made. That, that would be awesome and ridiculous. Two of my favorite words. Actually, one thing I've sort of been tempted to do is um, my girlfriend's mom likes to collect snowmen. Like She's got a huge pile of snowmen that she sets up every year at Christmas. And one thing I almost want to do is track down sort of um, the SD version of the O. 
Oh no. Sort of do a Chris. Yeah, sort of do a Christmas paint job on it. White little Santa hat, something. Yeah, I've seen I've seen custom jobs of the high grade O, where they turn it into Santa Claus and they even give the little head a beard. It's disturbing, but also awesome. Well, the O is just sort of the right shape for it, though. He's got the bowl full of jelly working going, and, you know, it looks great. I, I don't I don't think she'd like it very much. It's like, she'd be like, what the hell is this? Like, at this one point... The, oh, ho, ho. At one point, I showed her, showed her the USB snowman from ThinkGeek, and how they've got the Cylon eye that makes the noise, and she did not understand it at all. <laughs> over her head or under it, depending on how you look at it. Completely over her head. Okay, then. <laughs> Bandai's always finding ways to take money, and the weird thing is about Gunpla Addicts is that we're sort of always asking Bandai for the exact way we want them to take our money. Like, I've got a wish list of a few things. Like, I really want more alternate universe villain suits in Master Grade form. And that goes back to my neurosis, because I'm looking at my ter- Master Grade Turn A, which was the first Master Grade I bought, because Sam loves the Turn A so very much. I'm not sure why. And I'm thinking there, and I'm looking at it, sort of dangling the Gundam hammer ever so menacingly at me. And I'm like, you know what would be great? I had a Master Grade Gun uh, Turn X to go right next to it. That would be nice. That would be nice. It would be. I'm kind of curious. I never heard her reaction to those Moonlight Butterfly wings of mine, because I've gotten all sorts of interesting reactions to those. Oh, I actually made a point of showing her those, and she really did like it. She's also disappointed that uh, the Death Scythe, uh, the most recent, the Master Grade Death Scythe, sort of turned out a bit lame. Well, it wasn't a bad kid. It's just, you know, it's called the Death Scythe. You want it to be able to hold the scythe. Like, you, you sort of think that they did take the time to really engineer the hell out of it so that the scythe is a showcase. Although I will say that I've talked to some other uh, Gundam reviewers. I talked to G8259 the other day, and for today, actually. And he said his doesn't have that much of an issue. It's a lot more balanced than his. So maybe I just got a poorly uh, poorly cast kid. I don't know. Or maybe he's got the strong one. I got the wobbly one. I don't know. Yeah. I either way, I'm gonna see how this whole uh, Master Grades from Gundam Wing shakes out because th- well, there seems to be some hints at uh, oh, there's doing more the than... TV versions as well as the movie versions. Uh, there's more than a few hints. Trust me. After I couldn't figure out why they were calling it the Endless Waltz version instead of the version Ka. started looking at the manual and how they showed, you know, okay, there's going to be a uh, Death Scythe Hell custom. We're probably going to see an Endless Waltz version of the Sandrock, the Heavy Arms, and the Ultron. And then we'll probably see the entire Endless Waltz line uh, from the movie. And, you know, if they call all those version Ka, the version Ka won't be that special anymore. Especially if they're putting out one every couple of months, which seems to be the plan. Well, I don't know if we're going to see one every couple of months like that. But well, let's put it this way. I expect probably three more Master Grades of Wing next year, maybe four, and the year after that another three or four. And over the next three, four years, we're going to see probably at least a dozen, maybe two dozen. Which, if the day the Epion comes out, I'll be a lot happier. If we're talking wish list, that's been on top of my wish list. Ever since I started, like I said, my very first Gundam was Epion. He's sitting right above my computer as we speak, and the day that we get a Master Grade, I will be thrilled with that. My understanding is that they're going to be using the same inner frame for the non-transforming wingsuits, so we'll probably see 
a few versions of uh, the main five, but I'm sitting here thinking, it's like, does that mean I'm not getting my Epion? Because that's I, the one thing that's holding me back from buying the whole, all of them. Is no Epion? Basically, I think we'll see an Epion, but we will have to get a Wing Zero before a Wing Zero TV version before we ever see an Epion. And granted, the Wing Zero TV, I'll go ahead and you can book it right now. April of 2011, the Wing Zero TV version. So maybe an Epion sometime ne- late next year, maybe a year after that. I don't know. Like, I don't know if I have much else on the wish list beyond a Turnex and an Epion, except, uh, God, I'd love something from Double O that is not the Jinx. Like, the Jinx is a great grunt suit, but I don't know what else, but there's a ton of other things I'd rather have next I'd like to, to see a Reborns, personally. I always like the Reborns gun. Oh, the Reborns was awesome. Like, it, it was a great nod to the gun cannon, and then it transformed into this ridiculously awesome thing. I'd like to get a Reborns just so I can recolor it in a new Gundam color scheme. Oh, yeah. A black, a white, a uh, little bit of gold and some red. That would that would be nice. What else would I like to see in Master Form? I want a double X. I've always liked the high-grade double X I have, and I'd really like a Master Grade. And I think since we've seen the, they've finally gone into the high-grade version, we'll probably see a Master Grade, but they're going to milk the high-grade line for a little while. So we'll see it, but it won't be for a couple of years at least. The, th- the thing about Bandai is I think they like to track the sales of sort of third-party toy designers. Like, I know, I don't think we would have gotten the high-grade alternate set, um, after Warline had it not been for sort of the success of the robot Damashis of yeah. the X. So I would not be surprised if we started to see, if, if there weren't some mumblings of a master-grade X and a master-grade double um, X after they do up. Maybe two thirds or three quarters of the wingsuits. Well, I wouldn't be personally surprised. I think we can all expect this December the Master Great B2 Gundam, just because that's what they've been doing. Is every December they have you know a link suit. Like one year it was Unicorn, the next year it was Sinanju, last year it was Victory, this year will be the V2. I wouldn't be surprised at all if in December 2011 you see Master Grade Gundam X. Yeah. And a few months down the road, you see Master Grade, help me out here, Gundam X with the shield is called... The Divider, yeah. Thank you, Gundam X Divider. And then, you know, uh, December 2011, I mean 2012, we'll see the Double X. Maybe even a version COD Double X, who knows? Because I love buying a kit and ignoring most of the decals in it. <laughs> now, I'm, I'm a decal whore, I freely admit it. I, I go to the decals, and on the... There's a, few particular kits that will drive you insane, Sinanju being one of them with all the decals on there. and ugh. <laughs> I, I sometimes wish I could say, oh, I'll just skip the decals, but uh, I can't. I don't know. In my head, I'm always thinking, the animators never bother drawing all the decals on. I'm not going to bother scratching them all on. <laughs> yeah, but it gives you a little bit more detail. It gives it a little bit more look. And occasionally you will find a kit where... The decals are absolutely essential to the kit. Like the Master Grade EZ-8, you have to add that 08 onto the kit and it just won't look right without it. Or Master Grade New Gundam, you have to add the Amuro symbol on his shield and on his shoulder. And without those decals, it just doesn't look right. I know. There's some things where you just look at it and it's not right. But there's a lot where I'm like, do I really need the serial numbers on the shield 
the yeah, the skirts, the shoulder, the backpack, one of the guns. The the only one I wish I had bothered not doing was the victory. Oh the, God. All the decals on the victory were a giant waste of time to put on. They don't make the kit look any better or function any better. There's a lot of them for such a tiny little kit. If I could go back in time, I'd just say, probably I'd just say not even get the victory in the first place, but if I wanted to get it, go ahead and skip decals. I'm not a decal person. I'm very cool putting it together and slapping my lines on and standing it up and being very satisfied with myself. What else would be on the wish list? Um, what, what was it that I really wanted? Well, the V2, but I'm sure that's coming. Of course, now my neurosis will kick in and I'll want sort of any one of the villain suits from Victory, particularly the later episodes. Like, uh, God, what's, what's the crazy lady with the bells piloting? I can't remember any of the names of the suits from Victory. I don't remember the name, but I know who you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Who pilots that giant mobile armor. Yeah, that, that crazy thing with, with, with the rings and the stuff. All the grunts suits in Victory are very odd. <laughs> well, th- that's what happens when you sort of let uh, Hajime Katoki sort of run wild. He-, he-, he creates weird grunt suits. Yeah, just, just go ahead and have fun. As opposed to Sid Mead, who makes grunt suits of all different scale and size. Yeah. Let's see, the only other Master Grade I'd really like to see, which, you know, a year ago I would have said, you're out of your damn mind, it'll never happen. But now... I'm not so sure. I'd like to see a Psycho Gundam, full 1-100 scale. And I know you may call me crazy, but the first time I saw the Mega Scale Gundam, and they just recently announced a Mega Scale uh, Sharazaku 2, the first time I saw Mega Scale Gundam, I was like, you know, you could fairly easily switch that up to a Psycho Gundam, and it'll be the right scale. It'd be about that size. Right, because a Psycho Gundam is pretty much... Double the height of a Mark II, maybe a little bit more. Maybe. And by size scale, that's pretty much exactly what the Mega Scale is. Yeah, and I think the O proved that you could sell a Master Grade for over 100,000 yen, and people would buy it. Yeah, like me. <laughs> yeah. The day they announced the O, that was another one of those kits I never thought they'd make. I was like, they're going to make the O? Oh, I'm in, I'm in, I'm going to buy it, I'm going to buy it. And they said, how much is it going to cost? I was like, oh, dear Lord. Oh, well, they showed a man. prototype of the O like four years ago. And then it sort of disappeared after that one hobby show. They showed the prototype, and everyone was excited. And then no one really mentioned it again until they showed the second prototype, which apparently fixed whatever problem they had with the first one was. Well, if you look very carefully online, you can find a... There's only one in existence. There's a Master Grade prototype of the Nightingale, which is a... Yeah, I know. That thing would be beastly huge. That's a it, lot of plastic. Oh, it's easily... I mean, I've seen... It's a... They only made a prototype. It's in solid gray, and it's currently at the Gundam Bandai Museum. They only ever made one of them, because I guess they finally realized, sure, this would be great. Sure, fans would love it, but nobody could afford the damn thing. It'd be over $1,000. The size of the thing, it was easily about the size of a desktop. Yeah. It was about the size of the dendrobium, is what it was. Yeah. And I sort of love when they make giant high grades of things. Like, I love the Kshatriya. I wish I could get a good deal on the high-grade Psycho. I, I wish I could even find the high-grade uh, Dendrobium Stamen, but... Oh, you can find it fairly easy. I know of several places that carry it. The problem is, 
it's $220 before shipping. Yeah. So <laughs> that's another one of those, you know, cut off an arm and a leg or sell off your firstborn to afford that guy. Yep. Not to mention, once you've actually built it, you got to find some place to put it. And as we mentioned earlier, shelf space. So, so th- there's a certain point where you say, yeah, this is great. Okay, so I can find it for 200 bucks and then ship it over for like 40 And then I'd have to buy a shelf for it. And that's another, you know, 50 at Ikea or something. <laughs> right. Yeah, that would be, uh, if I was rich, I'd buy one for sure just because I'd love to have it. But unfortunately, I'm not rich. Yeah. One of those days, I'll hit the lotto. Yeah. I keep telling myself, you know, if I if I ever win Powerball, this, I don't know if this shows how much of a geek I am, but I'm pretty sure it does. I build one room as a bedroom and one room for nothing but model kits. You know, wall upon wall of model kits and just, you know, a desk there to make them. Well, I think everyone who takes one hobby a little too seriously always dreams of having a room for it. Like, there's some great pictures of guys who sort of redesign their basement, guys who play Dungeons & Dragons who've redesigned their basements as sort of the dedicated D&D room and redone it in sort of a faux dungeon look. <laughs> and I know one guy who, who's trying to make a business out of remodeling homes so they look like bits of starships from the uh, from Star Trek. So it wouldn't be the man cave, it would be the nerd cave. Oh, yeah. More or less, okay. The Star Trek room guy is terrible. Like, he did his whole apartment in that style, and you look at him sort of try and live in it, and it's terrible. He has no storage space. Because there, there's no shelves in Star Trek. There's no shelves yeah. and no cover, cupboards. Yeah, you always wonder, where do they put their dirty laundry in Star Trek? Seriously. Oh, they atomize it and um, use the replicators to make more. Really? Yeah, nice. I'm sure that's exactly what they do, because it's the Federation. And they have no concept of money and no concept of wastage, really, anymore. Because science has picked has fixed every single of humanity's problems, except when the technology breaks. Just like the current world is. Yes. Everything's great when the, everything works, just when it doesn't. <laughs> Unless you're watching uh, Deep Space Nine, in which case people have real problems. Yes, indeed. I'm, I'm sort of glad Gene Roddenberry died and, uh, and the writers were allowed to maybe stretch what they could do with the Star Trek universe without him saying, no, everyone gets along in the future, because that's what the future is. It's all everyone's happy and wonderful. Yeah. And there will be rainbows and unicorns. Double rainbows all the way. Oh, my God. It's almost a triple rainbow. <laughs> oh, God. You know what yeah. I love? You know what I love about that guy? Is that... But he's not high when he does that? And that Windows paid him to do an ad for Windows 7. Hey, if, if you can make money out of making your ass out of it yourself, all the more power to you, buddy. Uh, Look at Paris Hilton. She's made a career out of that. I don't even know if that's a career. Because I don't know. Cause... She gets paid to do it. It's a career. <sighs> Disturbing, I know. But the whole thing is, I never think of her as making money for doing what she does, because I always think of her as just sponging off daddy. <laughs> And then I think, no, wait, I guess she gets paid to be on reality TV. I don't know if she made any money off the sex tape, but the, the TV shows, I'm sure she she makes a lot on. Okay, I'm going to throw one more question about Gund- Gundam at you, because yeah. I've kind of had this argument before. Basically, we've just recently got the news that the Master Grade for November is going to be the 00 Quanta yep. from the Gundam 00 Awakening of the Trailblazer movie. And I've had this argument on different forums, 
and different places that people say, oh, this is the sign that Bandai is moving towards more master grades, that they're going to get away from the one one hundred, you know, high grades and non grades. And basically what I tell them is, are you telling me that Bandai is not going to put out kits because they want to focus on master grades? They're going to put out kits any way they can that they think they can make money off of. On the one hand, I'm sure we're going to see one or two master grades a month like we've always seen. But it's very telling that for the double O movie, we didn't get any non-graded hundredth scales as opposed to yeah. the, the TV mm-hmm. series. Well, that was the thing about the TV series was at the same time we had the high grades rolling out, we had the hundredth non-grades. And I actually sort of like hundredth non-grades for whatever reason. They're that nice sweet spot of fairly affordable, but you can still sort of bang it all out in an afternoon. Right. And I'm not sure we're going to see it totally disappear, but I mean, in two years when they do another Gundam show, they're going to be like, okay, here's the 100th scale, non-graded Gundam, whatever its face is going to be. Right. Well, I just think I wouldn't be surprised at all if we still see, you know, some 1-100 kits of the uh, movie Gundams, just basically because once we learn that the uh, Harut turns into the Cerave 2, it's like, oh, they're just going to recolor a Cerave. There you go. Yeah. Uh, when we learn that yeah, the uh, Gundam 00, uh, the O-Riser, or the double O-Riser, rather, makes an appearance in a condenser type. Like, oh, they're going to send that back out one more time. You know, I just can't imagine Bandai not doing a recolor to make some money, especially in a non-grade or a high-grade scale. Certain that we're going to see, like, a 160th non-grade of either the Quanta or the condenser type of the double O. Right. Because... They like to do the lead suits in the 160th non-grades because I sort of like the idea just because they're big, giant toys. Right. Well, I still expect, uh, whenever, when I looked at the Gundam 00 Perfect grade on some of the reviews I saw on YouTube, that frame pretty much screamed 00 Quanta to me. And I really think we're going to see a perfect grade one day. In fact, I thought it was going to be this year, but it turned out to be the Strike Freedom, which surprised me, but not yeah. totally shocked by it. Well, I, I'm never shocked by anything Bandai has picked for a perfect grade. They, they usually tend to pick very safe choices. It's always a lead well, suit that's fairly recent. Yeah. Well, they got a... The line that I heard was, the Master Grade Strike Freedom was one of the best-selling kits that they ever made. You know, in Japan, it sold like hotcakes. Outside of Japan, sold all right, but nothing spectacular. But Well, in, they don't care about outside Japan anyhow. They they really don't. Sales in Japan. Outside of that, they're like, eh, we make some money someplace else. That's gravy on top, but they're focused on Japan. So when they looked at the next perfect grade, they looked at, okay, what's our one of our best-selling master grades? Strike Freedom. Okay, let's rock. How many parts can we reuse from the perfect grade strike? <laughs> Actually, from looking at it, I don't think they're going to use as much as you think. They're probably going to use a good chunk of it, but most of it's going to be a new frame. Like, like, I'm, like I'm sure the legs are going to be the same or something. Right. Oh, I'm sure they're like, but I'm sure what they're going to do is they'll reuse that for another kit. Yeah. They'll I like if they ever made a perfect grade freedom. I'm such a big fan of the freedom. I might consider that one. But then I'd have to be worried about sort of perfect grade back heaviness. Now these days for the perfect grades you need a stand. Yeah. Then again for some master grades you need a stand. Yeah. Have have fun with that uh, excess. Yeah. That that's gonna be uh, that's gonna be I called. Those type of kits, golden cinder blocks. They look pretty. They're great to have sitting on a shelf, but that's all they're going to do is stand there and look pretty. No posability in those kind of kits. 
And, and what do you call the kits that are too posable, so that once you get them where you want them, you never want to touch them again? Uh, the wet noodles. Yeah. Like, like I've got my Zeta set up exactly how I want it, and I'm afraid right, to poke it. Yeah, my 2.0 Zeta, I've, I've got it in one pose, and I've pretty much never reposed it just because I'm afraid <laughs> I'll never get it right to that same pose again. I got uh, I got the Master Grade High New, same deal. I got it in a great pose. I may never change it just because I like that pose, and I'm afraid I'll never get it back to that same yeah. pose. Um, that, that's a, that's sort of a complaint I have about Master Grades. For a lot of them, there's just a little too much freedom of movement that, you know, you tweak this one thing Actually, when you're yeah. posing it, and then you have to tweak, okay, the, the knees has to have to be like this, and then the ankles, and then... Oh, uh, the skirt armor needs to just be this much farther in. Yeah. yeah the, po- the poster boy for that kid is the Exia. You you move a finger on the Exia, and everything else has to be moved. Yeah. I've got the Exia on an action base the way I want it. I will probably <laughs> never touch it. Right. <laughs> I've got two Exias, and I doubt they'll ever change. <laughs> yeah. i got something to complain about. This isn't, right. Ban- this isn't Bandai's fault so much as it is international, the international trade's fault. As the yen has become so much more you know, valuable as opposed to the U.S. dollar, and I'm sure the Canadian dollar as well. Uh, I, Canadian dollar is trading a bit stronger, I think. Like you, you lucky Canadian bastard! Like, you. like it's what, what is it? Like I think a hundred yen's a buck thirteen Canadian. Well, it's a lot more here now, <laughs> but uh, everything you know is going up. It's been a slow climb, but it's been a climb. And every time I want to buy a new Master Grade, I'm like. Do I really got to pay that much? I mean, recently I bought the, when I got the Death Scythe, I got the Death Scythe at a pretty good deal where I got half off shipping if I pre-ordered it. And I still paid $42 for it with shipping. That's kind of expensive for a kit that was like 30 bucks to start with. This was a fairly cheap Master Grade, but considering I only had two weapons, I can see why. Yeah. But, you know, the trade of the end <laughs> is making a, a painful hobby that much worse. And, and it's not even the yen getting stronger. It's the U.S. dollar sort of sinking. Yeah. Because you're seeing that in the Can- Canadian-U.S. exchange rate all the time. Like, it's practically at par now. It was at par for a while, and I was just sort of thinking back to when I lived in a border town in northwestern Ontario and having to go to America for the movies and thinking, ah, geez, this is 60 cents on the dollar. Do I really want to go to America to spend, you know, 18 to go see Star Wars again? Land of the free, home of the brave, and also land of the penniless. But being in a border town in Canada is sort of weird because uh, it's a lot like being in a border town in uh, America, but for the southern border. You go across for cheap uh, gasoline, cigarettes, and alcohol, and enjoy coming back to your more advanced uh, nation afterward. There's a few other things I'd love to have from Bandai in terms of master grades. Like, well, that's I, a, that's the nice thing about Bandai is they always leave you wanting more. You got to give them that. Every time you've built a master grade, you're like, man, now I want them to see. I want them to make this kit. I want them to make this kit. I never thought there'd be a master grade O, and as soon as I built it, I'm like, man, look at. It. I can think of all the other things you're gonna do, like a psycho Gundam now. I would still love to see anything from uh, Le Sing uh, or uh, Ecole du Ciel. Like I yeah. love a Gundam Le Sing. Like that, I love that mech design. Yeah, that uh, the what is it? The Swan, I believe. Yeah, the Swan. 
I, I like that design. It doesn't look like a Gundam, but if they want to call it a Gundam, all the more power to them. Well, you look at it now in sort of light of Double O, and you, you see a lot of the Exia in it now all of a sudden. Especially around the head. I, well, maybe around the head, but the rest of the body, it's all... You know, there is no straight lines on the Swan. Everything is a smooth, flowing, which, you know... Most gun most Gundams are not smooth and flowing. They're big, blocky, and badass. But yeah, like I'd love to see anything from that manga series. Uh, what else would I love to see? I'd love more to see everything. Star- more everything Sorry. from Gundam X. That's what I yeah. want. I'd like to see a Gundam Stargazer. I mean, that's the only one one forty fourth kid I have in my entire collection, just because I love that design so much. But I don't think I'll ever see a Master Grade Stargazer. That's Hoping against hope, but you never know. <laughs> you never know. There, there's this odd... Well, I think the Master Grade line has sort of covered the big Cash Cow UC series and sort of now has to branch out into the alternate centuries, even though uh, the Japanese yeah. fans still crave more one-year war and more Grips Conflict stuff. I think we're going to see more. I Like this year, when they announced the Clear Parts campaign, I pretty much knew, okay, any 2.0 kid is out the window. Because yeah. if they're going to reissue all the Master Grades and clear parts, we're not going to see any 2.0s. Next year, I would not be surprised at all to hear a 2.0 Gun Cannon or possibly a 2.0 Double Zeta. Yeah. Well, the Double Zeta almost needs it. What, whatever they, that. Whenever they release that, they've learned enough about Transformers and combining kits. Right. That they've learned enough to sort of really make it work. I got a full armor Double Zeta on my shelf here and. It's a nice little kit, but it's another golden brick. It sits there and looks cool, but that's about it. But I can see them going back and looking at the Zeta because the problem with the double Zeta, it doesn't have much of an internal frame, really. Yeah. It's basically a really fancy high-grade kit is what it is. I guess we haven't even touched on the real-grade line, but that's because I haven't bought in, bought the one or am particularly excited for the two that are coming out. But well, I'm still sort of interested in what the line's going to do. I am too, just because I want to see where they're going to go with it. I might, you know, I like I said, I'm a one one hundredth guy, but I might, if I ever come across the uh, real grade Gundam, the first one, and I find it at a good price, I might pick it up just to give it a shot. Because my plans are on my YouTube channel is near the end of the year after we've built the last big master grade and we've had some chances to look at the perfect grades, Greg Freedom. I'm going to send out a question to everyone asking about what the kit of the year is going to be. And nine times out of ten, the kid of the year is also the master grade of the year. But this year we got a couple of en- different entries. We get, we're going to have a perfect grade, and we're going to have the real grade line. Will a, a real grade RX-78 actually fall into the conversation of the kid of the year? I don't really know. Like, all, all sort of my Toronto friends who are into Gunpla are really excited about real grades. And I'm just not catching it yet. Maybe that's because I'm not a huge fan of the mech designs from the one-year war. Or first Gundam at all. But I'm sort of excited to see what they do with it. If it's going to be just a chance to sell you everything from first Gundam again, or if they're going to try and represent represent the entire franchise in these sort of half-step between high grades and master grades. Well, I think what they're going to do, this is just my guess, I think they're going to do the exact same thing as master grade. The first you know, five to ten real grades will be the Biggins, the RX-78, the Zaku, Char-Zaku, the Zeta, the Mark II, uh, the Double Zeta. You know, they're going to get the big UC suits out of the way. After that, I wouldn't be some surprised if they go 
real grade, you know, God Gundam or real grade uh, Gundam X or a real grade Double O, where you know they go off into some different alternate universe and they, I'm sure whatever they're going to do, they're going to pick something really wild as the first one. Yeah. But I think they're going to knock out the big UC heavy hitters first. And probably we'll see this a very similar thing from this sort of jumbo grade one for one forty eight scale. I don't know if we're going to see a lot of those. Personally. Well, they, they've announced a Sharzaku, and I'm sure we'll see a 48th uh, Mark II. I wouldn't be surprised. The only thing I'll guarantee is we'll see a a standard Zaku II, since it's just a recolor of Sharzaku. Yeah. And we'll probably see a Mark II, since that's just basically a slight modification of the RX-78-2. Like, will, will we see any transforming jumbo grades? Not for a while. I'd be surprised if we saw, like, a Zeta or something like that, yeah. yeah. Just because the, the jumbo grades are really high-grade quality in a large size, so you can't really do the inner frame stuff that you need to get a transformer, and because it's so much plastic to begin with, the price is high, and you can't do a parts former because that's more plastic. Right, but, but... We might see a jumbo grade, like, God Gundam or something. Right. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see that, but I don't see the jumbo grade sticking around very long. But I've been wrong before. But the real grade, I think, is, you know, one of those, yeah, this is a new line. It's going to sit right alongside the Master Raid line. It's going to go, you know, 50, 60 kits deep, at least, maybe longer. Mm-hmm. Like, I think this is going to pan out well for Bandai. Oh, I'm sure. they. It's always a great way for them to sell you the same suits all over. Oh, God. Yeah, I, I How just... How many times have we bought the RX-78-2 now? Oh, God. No, I, I'm just thinking, whenever I go on Hobby Link Japan and look at the Master Grades and look at all the Zaku variants in Master Grade form, and I just laugh. Yeah, man. Yeah. It's like, my God, they've convinced people to buy the Zaku. How many times? There's like... Well, make those 2.0 kits. I mean, they're... Yes, they're better for articulation. Yes, they're better for, you know, detail... And they're a great improvement over the original, but that means they get to sell you that same kit again and maybe do a modification of it three times. Like, I wouldn't be shocked at all if we see a Zeta Plus in the future. 2.0. Yeah, Zeta Plus 2.0 because, hey, they got that frame sitting there. They might as well reuse it. And once we see a a double Zeta 2.0, you bet your sweet butt they're going to do a a double Zeta full armor 2.0. I'm, I'm sure it's just a matter of time even before we get uh, sort of the re, the Amaro recolor of the Zeta 2.0. Right. Like, I'm think, surprised it hasn't happened already. Uh, didn't they do that as a special release for the Unicorn? They did a special Amaro Unicorn Zeta? Yeah, they, they did an Amaro Unicorn Zeta. So they got one of those out, and they used the double... Uh, they used the RX-78-2 version 2.0 to make a full armor Gundam, so... Yeah. Once they've got that frame, they can use it for all sorts of things again. I mean, look at the Wing Gundam. They're probably going to take that Wing Gundam frame and use it for at least three or four more kits. Yeah. Maybe more. That said, I kind of want Gundam Wing kits, and that's almost purely nostalgia. And it's more nostalgia than I want to admit, but a lot of it's just... I really think the mech designs of Wing were very well done. And actually, I'm going to say it right now. The mech designs of Gundam in the 90s were better than uh, the mech designs of Gundam we got in... uh, from 2000 to 2010. Oh, I think we're someone's bashing Seed and Seed Destiny again. Hello. No, I'm not even going to bat. 
like, I will bash C Destiny on plot and characterization, but the mech design is just like, it's alright, but it's not up there with the stuff you saw. Hey, they don't call me Defender of Destiny for nothing, don't start on this. <laughs> yes. If anything, I'm going to bash Seed and Seed Destiny out right for is the color schemes of everything. I, well, I think it grates on the eyes. Well, they, they bash. They bash Seed and Seed Destiny for doing the old, uh, the gray Gundam is the bad Gundam, you know. Destiny's used in a gray color, not a white. Providence is used in a gray color, not a white, and they all complain about that. It's like, you know, they aren't the first to do this. Yeah, no, that that started Can in the 90s. we go back to 0083 and the yeah, you line up, is all you line up all the Gundams from uh, the, the 90s OVAs, and you can pick up pick out the bad, the evil Gundams pretty easily. Right. Anything that is not in white is the bad Gundam. When you saw the Mark II Titan's color, did you think that was a good guy suit? No. <laughs> I, bet some pe- I bet some people in Japan shit bricks over the Psycho Gundam. When it first happened in the 80s. Because that was a Gundam really just being outright evil and reveling in it. Yeah, you you want your big, bad, you know, Voltron-style evil Gundam? There you go. I do believe that wraps up our thoughts on it. Let's call it a night. Goodbye, everyone. Uh, I thought they smelled bad on the outside. Intro by Sound of Ground and outro by Mount Carmel. Smells Bad on the Outside, released under a Creative Commons license. Visit our website at sbopodcast.blogspot.com.